If you guys went out into this corner of Virginia tomorrow, into, into this community, and each person in this room performed three random acts of kindness for complete strangers, immediately 450 lives would be changed, would be different. If those 450 people paid it forward one time, well, now you're talking about a community college. You're talking about over 1,300 lives changed, all because each one of us does what we're simply called to do in Scripture anyway, and that's to, to just serve. I travel to a lot of different churches. I speak at a different church almost every Sunday. And sadly, a lot of times when I show up, I'll get there early, and one of the uh, long-standing congregants, one of the elders, one of the, the sacred cows of the congregation, we'll, we'll say today, will, will approach me, and, and too often it's, it's a similar story. They'll walk up and they'll say something like this. <clears throat> uh, Tony, our, uh, our church wasn't growing none, so uh, we got rid of that old preacher. We fired him. He's gone. He weren't no good. The whole time they're telling me this, all I can think is, if your church isn't growing, if, if your workplaces don't know that you're a believer, if your schools have never heard the name of Jesus, if your own neighbors don't know you as people that serve, you ought to run yourself off, not the guy down front on Sunday. It's up to every single one of us as individuals to advance the message of Christ, not just by the things that we say, but by the things that we do, the, the way that we live our lives, the way that we serve and love on others. You know, if you think about it, really Jesus himself started the pay it forward movement 2,000 years ago. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus assembles 12 guys from different walks of life and occupations, different family situations. He gets these 12 guys together. Now picture it kind of like a football huddle here in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 8. Gets them all in. He says, all right, guys, hey, bring it on in here, all right? We're going to do it. We're going to go over our game plan. I want everybody to get their hands in. Matthew, get over here. Peter, you in? Okay, cool. All right, everybody's in, right? All right. Listen, this is what I want you guys to do, okay? This is our game plan. This is how we're going to start things. I want you to go. You got a picture of the disciples with their hands in going, go where? Wait, time out, Jesus. I don't think you understand. Look, I left my family, I left my entire life behind me to follow you. And now you're just telling me to go? That's the big plan? Jesus says, yeah, pretty much. I want you to go and serve people in need. I want you to put hands on lepers. I want you to tell people the grace that God has given you. Freely, you guys have received. Freely, you ought to give. So go and do something and be. Serve. Go. And Jesus modeled that game plan all the way to the cross at Calvary for each one of us. You know... This morning, um, I want to challenge you guys. We're called to serve. Not, not to just sit, but, but to serve. There's a guy years ago named Larry Walters. You'll, you'll need to Google this when you get home. Google this guy, Larry Walters, because when I get done telling you the story, you're going to go, nah, he made that up. That can't be true. Larry Walters grew up in Southern California in the 1970s, and as a young man, Larry had one dream. He wanted to fly. He wanted to be a pilot. The only problem was he was born with horrendous eyesight. You've heard of the, the phrase, blind in one eye, can't see out of the other. Larry was almost legally blind in one of his eyes. As a high school student, he, he applied to the Air Force. Of course, they just laughed. They rejected his, his application. 
And as he went around Southern California trying to find someone who would license him to just dust crops or do something in a plane, everywhere he went, the response was the same. Larry, you blind as a bat. Ain't nobody in their right mind going to put you in the cockpit of a plane, Sean. Frustrated by this, Larry paced back and forth at work one night. He worked for a film company in Los Angeles. And as he was pacing, he noticed in the back corner of the warehouse some weather balloons. And a teeny tiny halfway burned out light bulb went off over Larry's head. And Larry said to himself, I have me a fine idea. He gathered up all the balloons, took them home, tied them to his Jeep, tie, uh, actually to a lawn chair, tied the lawn chair to the Jeep, filled up the balloons, went in the house, got some sandwiches and sodas and a pop gun, went out, got in the chair, and with the help of his girlfriend, of all people, that they cut the ropes, and Larry began to fly. It's a true story. But as evidenced by the first half of this story, Larry was not the smartest guy on earth. He had miscalculated his own weight versus the number and strength of the balloons. And in less than 10 minutes, Larry was 2,000 feet in the air, drifting out into the main corridor where planes come in and out of the airport there at Long Beach. Yeah, he was first spotted by a a pilot. Could you imagine being on that plane? I mean, you're flying into Los Angeles with your friend going, hey, there's the Pacific Ocean. Looks beautiful. Down there's the Staples Center. We should go see the Lakers. And there's a guy in a lawn chair. (laughs) Picture Larry eating his sandwich. He was quoted in the paper after this whole ordeal was over as saying, it was getting kind of dark, so I thought I should come down. Start shooting balloons. And Larry went down about as fast as he had gone up. Now, luckily for him, I say luckily, he crashed into some power lines just before he hit the ground. It really saved his life. He didn't have a scratch on him. He knocked out 40 blocks of electricity in L.A. that day. But he was fine. And every news crew in town descended on the scene to interview this lunatic in a lawn chair and get this guy's story to figure out what was going on. And as they're piecing together this story, one reporter had enough. At some point during the interview, he just broke in and said, Larry, look, you know what? <laughs> we get it. You know, you, we wanted to fly. No one would let you. You're, you know, almost blind. This, this Hollywood, you know, against all odds story you're laying out for us. But, Larry, I got to ask you, really? I mean, really? A, a lawn chair and balloons and a gun? Why would you do such a crazy thing? And Larry Walters responded very profoundly, and I quote, I figured I can't just sit there. That's all I have to say about that. That was his entire rationale behind pulling this crazy stunt. I can't just sit there. And as insane as it would be this afternoon to see one of you floating over the city of Richmond on a a lawn chair with balloons attached to you, let me very, I can't just sit there. We applied it to our Christian walk. We applied that same mentality as believers. I can't just sit there. I can't. What would happen? Well, this corner of Virginia would be turned upside down for the cause of Jesus. That's what would happen. Jesus changed the entire planet with 12 guys. What could he do with a couple of hundred of you here? If you simply let him, if you simply make the decision to serve him with your life. This great story in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Many of you have heard this story before. Jesus and Peter are having a a conversation, you know. 
Peter and Jesus, they'd been together for three and a half years. They had done ministry together. They walked on the water together. P- Peter saw Jesus do stuff he couldn't even explain. They ate meals together. They, they sang songs. They built campfires, undoubtedly. Then Peter saw Jesus die. And in John 21, he sits face to face having a conversation with the risen Jesus who had beaten death, who had beaten the grave. And they're having this, this talk. And, and Jesus, at the end of this conversation, says three words to Peter that I believe completely changed the course of Peter's life. You know, they're having this conversation. And by the way, don't, don't ask first-grade boys uh, this question. I, I was with a bunch of kids a couple of months ago and said, fellas, what were the last three words that we have recorded that Jesus said to his friend Peter? One little boy said, eat your spinach. No. Those are the last three words Jesus said to Popeye. So Jesus and Peter are talking, and at some point, Jesus kind of changes the, the entire conversation and asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you just asked me that question. I, yes, I love you. What? And the word says that Peter was asked a third time by Jesus, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Peter had been with Jesus. He knew Jesus' style. He knew Jesus was up to something here. Probably maybe even felt a little bit hurt by this, questioning, where are we going with this? Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, you, you know all things. Surely you, you must know that I love you. I, you've asked me three times. I've told you three times that I love you. I could just envision Jesus standing there looking at Peter, smiling at him and saying, Peter, if I asked you a hundred times, you'd say it a hundred times. Saying it and living it's two different things. And the Word tells us that Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. You say that you love me. You're here with us and you're eating with us. We're fellowshipping. You're singing the songs and praying with us. That's great, but if you love me, feed my sheep. I was born in August 1968. Do the math. I'm 75 now. And the moment I was born, I was placed into the hands of an orphanage in western Maryland. That's from a broken home before I even got here. My my birth mother couldn't take care of me. It wasn't really family there to step in and help. So that's how I started my life as this uncared for orphan. But while that was taking place, a 17-year-old girl, a teenager, wrote her husband-to-be a letter. They had just gotten engaged, but he had gone off to serve in the U.S. Army in Vietnam at the time. She wrote him a letter, and she said, I pray for you every day. Pray that you're safe. I've been praying this war will end, and all of you guys will come home. But every day when I've been praying, God's been laying on my heart this, this desire, this, this, this calling to be a mom. I think that's why he put me on this earth is to be a mommy. And when I pray, I don't think God wants me to wait till you get back, we get married and have our own kids. I think God wants me to be a mom right now. Well, that GI got that letter and he read it and he said, Say what? 
Then he prayed about it, and he wrote her back. He said, you go find a child who has nothing, who has no one. We'll take him and we'll raise him together as our own. So she started looking. During the process, he got back. They got married. And a short time after that, a few weeks after they were married, they walked into the room where I was being kept. Walked right up to my crib. They picked me. <laughs> my mom said, we went there to find a little girl. I said, Mom, you missed it by a long shot. <laughs> she said, I heard you. you. You were over there giggling and playing. And I looked in that crib. And as soon as I saw you, I was hit with this overwhelming sense of, I don't know the first thing about this child. I mean, he's not my blood. I, I don't even know his name, but I know this little boy needs a mommy. So she picked me up out of that crib, and along with her 21-year-old husband, they took me home, and for the next 18 years, all right, for the next 40 years, anytime I needed anything, I always had it. Roof over my head, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. I got to play Little League and go to school. I was taken to church even when I didn't want to go. I was that age. But that's where I first met Christ and made him Lord of my life. My mom pulled me off to church every Sunday. I know that kid had no idea when she picked me up. Forty years later, I'd be on a stage in a church in the middle of the state of Virginia pleading on behalf of other kids just like me, kids born into this world that don't have the things they need, they don't have somebody that loves them, they don't have somebody that would tell them about Jesus. And sadly, there's a lot of kids born into this world that are way worse off than I ever was. You guys know what James 1.27 says? Don't worry, no one else does either. James 1.27 is one of those verses we never really read in church anymore. I've never heard it preached. I'm I'm mortified by this. James 1.27, you guys look this verse up. James 1.27 says this. Listen to the first couple of words of this verse. James 1.27, religion that God accepts. Sounded kind of important, right? Religion that God accepts is looking after orphans and widows in their distress. And don't be polluted by the world. That's what it says. Acceptable religion to God is looking after those in need. I love that verse. I'm a product of it. A few years ago, I had a chance to go. I don't know how many people have ever been on a, a missions trip. I don't know if you've ever, any of you guys have ever been on a missions trip before, but if you haven't, you ever have the opportunity, and it'll change your life. Um, my pastor called me up. I was going to Wellspring Christian Church out in Nashville, Tennessee. Says, hey, you want to go on a missions trip to El Salvador? I said, yeah. Went home and Googled El Salvador. I, I could have been going to Turkey. I didn't know where I was going. Found this Pacific coastal country just south of Mexico, not far from San Diego, really. Flew down there. And when I got off that plane in the first 10, 15 minutes, I realized one thing that I want to tell you guys this morning. We are lucky we live here. We are fortunate that we are Americans. If you don't believe that, you go to another country for five minutes and you will be stunned. And we're not... We're not blessed because we have SUVs and big old buildings and bank accounts. And that, that, that stuff doesn't make us blessed. Our resources don't make us blessed. Our resources make us responsible. We are blessed because of the person of Christ, what he did on that cross, what he does for us today, and what he will do for us into eternity. That is our blessing is Christ Jesus. But still, we're lucky we live here. I got off that plane in El Salvador, and within the first 20 to 30 minutes, 
for the first time in my life, I witnessed child starvation. I saw a materialistic poverty. And I mean, I've been to the Indian reservations in Arizona. I've been to the Appalachians where we got people living in cardboard boxes. I have never seen anything like what I saw in El Salvador. But as that day went on, I began to interact with young families and people in that city. And it was a generation of young people existing with no no knowledge of Jesus Christ and a poverty of hope that I'd never encountered before. Towards the end of the day, our trip leader said, hey, I want to go by this place called Compassion. They, They do child sponsorship. They help orphans and kids in need. I want to see what they're all about. So we went to this this project, this, this, uh, this building, and we were greeted by one of the workers there. She came out and she said, we are so glad you guys came here today because yet, just yesterday we had two children sponsored into our program by people in America, and, the, and these kids, they live right down the road here a little, way, a little ways. We'd love for you guys to take them some supplies. So we said, okay. We jumped in a Jeep, took a couple boxes and a couple of uh, big old tubs of clean water, Rode through just shanty after shanty, just miles of people just stacked on top of people, really. And then we pulled up into this, this open field. And I'll never forget, like, all I could see were, were these, like, raw cinder blocks that were kind of stacked up. And we stopped, and they turned the Jeep off, and it, and it occurred to me. I was like, oh, this is their house. Had a piece of tin on top of it now. I'll never forget, they, they rigged a shower curtain. It was kind of their, that was their front door. So I walk up there, and I, when I pulled the curtain and looked inside, immediately I realized that there, there's not two kids here. They, they said there was two kids. There, there wasn't. There was four. The two that were sponsored, they were heading off for their first day of school. They were so excited, we barely got to see them. But the other two stayed there. One was this, this little girl named Maria. She was about five. A pair of shorts is all she had. Remember, she was sitting on this dirt floor, and there was ants all over the place. But when I stepped in with that box... She saw that we had supplies and clean water. Saw we were there to help. Our eyes happened to meet, and she looked up at me, and those little brown eyes got twice their original size. Smile went from ear to ear. Just kept looking at me. Stood up. Little hands started shaking. It was like she was about to hyperventilate. She was getting so excited, but but she wouldn't take her eyes off of me. I mean, she was fixated on me. It might have been the glare. I don't know. And then she started talking to me. And, I mean, she is talking and talking. I don't speak, I don't speak Spanish. I had, to, I had to go get the interpreter. And, um, well, I, I say, I speak some Spanish, you know. Dora, 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 the explorer. Vamanos. I said, hold on. Hold on a second, honey. Hold on. I went to the interpreter. I said, ma'am, could you come here? Ever since we got here, this, this little girl's been talking to me. She's excited, but I, I don't know what she's saying. Interpreter listened for a minute. She looked at me, and she said, this child just said to you, someone in America loves my brother and sister, and one day someone's going to love me too. I had a hard time with that. I remember looking at her thinking, I know what it is to be in need. We have different situations, but I got here in need as well. But as I looked at her and I thought about what she said, all I could think was, don't lose hope. I I know what happens when we pour love into the life of a child who has none. I'm only standing here this morning because somebody just like you, a complete stranger to me, cared enough to take me in, love on me, 
and share the gospel with me. That's the grace of God. I remember hugging her and saying, I love you right now. She didn't understand a word, just. You know, I've known Aaron a while. I've known this church for a while. I knew Neil when he was here. I know you're taught correctly here. Listen, we're not saved by the things we do. Only by the grace of God and blood of Jesus do we have any hope at all. But I do find it interesting. In Matthew 25, Jesus himself says, you know what? One day we're all going to leave this life. We'll have our last day on earth. We'll go. We'll have our great getting up morning. We'll stand before him. And on that judgment day, Matthew 25 says, we'll be asked one question. Now, think about it, folks. It could be any question, any question. Jesus says, we will be asked this question. What did you do for the least of my brothers? Because whatever you did for them, that's what you did for me. What will you say? What will I say? Probably wondering who this, this is, this is Eric. Eric lives in Rwanda. I brought him up here today um, because since I came back from that trip, I've been probably the biggest voice out there for compassion. I've seen many child sponsorship organizations. There's a lot of great ones. But I've been on the field in Ethiopia, in Kenya, in Mexico, in El Salvador, all around the world, watching compassion minister to these kids all through the local church. And one of the things I love most about compassion is they make no apology for the gospel. Every time you see their logo, it says, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. In fact, they've rejected government funding for 65 years to keep Jesus not only on the front of their logo, but in the front of their ministry and what they do. Today, um, I want to offer you an opportunity, and then I want to challenge you a little further. But today, um, I brought a bunch of these little guys back there with me, and I want to tell you, these aren't mass-produced. I'm the only person on God's green earth today that's got Eric with him. He's not online. He's not out on some tour with some other church. It's the only place in the world where Eric's packet is today. This is how this works. Um, if you're interested today, and I, and I have to say this, this, this isn't about guilt my goodness, if, if you feel that today, I did something wrong. This is not about guilt. I don't believe the Spirit works in guilt. I, I think the Spirit works in conviction. And so this is not for everybody, all right? But today, I hope and pray uh, that there will be somebody here that will say, you know what, I'm going to help Eric out. Essentially, what you give this child, you, you pick a child out, that's the hard part. You fill out this little blue card. Many of you are, are familiar with child sponsorship. Some of you may even have compassion children. You fill out this little blue card. It takes 45 seconds to do it. It changes this child's life for eternity. Dollar and eight cents a day is what you're essentially giving this child. And you say, dollar and eight cents. Wow. Well, what does that do, really? Well, unlike a lot of sponsorship organizations, this is one-on-one, you to the child. And the first priority is that this child knows who Jesus Christ is. You can send Bibles. You can send anything you want about your faith, all of your favorite verses, anything you want to talk to this child about regarding your faith is wide open. But that dollar and eight cents provides full medical. I wish I could get full medical for my kids for a dollar a day. I do. But past that, full education through grade 12, three meals a day, clean water, shoes, clothing, everything the child needs for their holistic development. 
But best of all, as that child's one and only sponsor, you'll have the opportunity to write letters back and forth. And I know this because our family sponsors five, and there is a different letter from a different kid in the mailbox every other week. And you can speak truth into their life and say, Eric, you matter to God. He has a plan for your life, son. One to prosper you, not to harm you. One to give you hope and a future. That's what his word says. Now, just for a little perspective, a dollar and eight cents is a McDonald's sweet tea or Coke, a small. Who, who could buy a small McDonald's drink right now? Put your hand up there. Y'all, y'all poor. Everybody put your hands up. You know you could do it. You got here today, didn't you? I was at a church a couple months ago. This lady down front said, I get my drinks from Starbucks. I said, well, you could take 10 of these kids then. It's perspective, folks. My wife challenged me eight years ago when we took our first child. She said, you know what? We've got four children of our own here, six of us in our family. We order a pizza, you know. Jesus died for us. We have everything we need. You think maybe we could cancel a a pizza night once a month so that a child could live and survive? A child could come to know Jesus? What could I say? Again, this is not for everybody, but if we're being truthful, some of us could take a couple of them. Today, I want to give you that chance. When we get done, uh, you can go back to that table. Just takes you a minute before you leave here. Fill out this little blue card so we know where this child is. This truly is this child's only packet on earth. And you'll start to make a difference in in a life of a child that you can't even measure, not in this lifetime. I also want to say this to you. Sponsoring a child is one way to serve him. All right? There are many, many opportunities. That's one of the great things about being a Christian. We don't wake up with, you know, one day with an opportunity to serve three random strangers. Every single day of our lives, we have unlimited opportunity to serve Him. There are opportunities right here at this church, aren't there, Aaron? Yep, there's two left, two opportunities to serve. I'm kidding. There's unlimited opportunity to serve right here in this church. Some of you have more opportunities to serve in your workplaces, in your schools, your communities, your own homes to step up your serving. That's what we were called to. Today, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you've never made him Lord of your life, this is what Jesus Christ calls you to. It's a life of serving and loving others. So today, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, we don't want anybody to leave this place today without hope. You don't have to do that. You can know this very day that if Jesus splits that sky, you know where you're going. Somebody on either side of you, front and back of you, Aaron, myself, there's a lot of people here today that would love to tell you what Jesus Christ has done for them in their life, and he has done so much for me. We're blessed, aren't we? We are blessed. So today, I want to pray for you, and then I want you to see a short video um, so that you can kind of see for real. Um, My wife and I, we picked up a little packet just like this about five years ago, our second child, a little girl from... Kenya. Her name's Elizabeth. And uh, they truly are our sons and daughters in our house. We have their pictures up in frames, and we pray for them. But my wife and I unexpectedly got an opportunity to go to Kenya. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to visit a Compassion Project, and they brought Elizabeth 700 kilometers across that country to come and spend a couple days with us. And so I want you to see today, when you pick up one of those packets, you are really talking about changing a child's life, and they know who you are. I've got a letter back there from one of my kids who, uh, through her sponsorship in the Philippines, knew we were from America and decided to take an English course. Take a look at that letter when you go back there. It's beautiful. Her handwriting looks like a font. She's, she's 12. 
I showed my kids. I was like, this is English handwriting, kids. So it's personal. Um, Let's pray, and then I want you to see this video. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day of life, this opportunity to be in this place this morning, to sing songs of praise and, and to worship you, to not be persecuted for that. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this day brings for us to serve other people. Lord, I pray that we will put others ahead of the needs of ourselves, and, Father, we'll regard lives and souls in higher esteem than a soft drink or a coffee or, or something trivial like that. God, thank you for demonstrating your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, that we might live. We thank you for all of these things, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Check this out. My name's Tony Wolf. I'm here in Kenya, Africa. My wife and I came down here to see how compassion My name's Tony Wolf. I'm here in Kenya, Africa. My wife and I came down here to see how compassion impacts community and children through the local church. Compassion's uh, care and ministry to children um, and concern for their spirituality uh, was so evident as we um, arrived. Uh, we got out of our vehicles uh, and we were greeted by a gigantic group of children who were dancing and singing and celebrating not our arrival, but um, the relationship that they had with God and what He has done in their lives. We've been able to see um, the Maasai people and how they've been affected uh, through compassion and the work done through the local church. We were even able to see the actual child folders that are kept by the projects, which contained maps to where they lived. Um, their, their medical history, how they do in school with their studies. It's like you're good at reading. Yeah, <laughs> Even where the child is spiritually and where their walk with Christ is, which showed me that this is not a blanket ministry uh, that's generically done for a mass. This is specific one-on-one ministry where Compassion in the local church is able to say, we care about you and we care about your relationship with Christ. This is the day God has given us to rejoice. One of the things we were really looking forward to uh, was meeting one of our sponsored children, Elizabeth. Seeing her for the first time really brought to life uh, our sponsorship. She's a bit shy, but she yeah, That's good, that's good. To actually come here and see that this wasn't just uh, a packet, it was a real person um, standing in the field uh, with a little smile and beautiful dress that we found out later uh, she had actually gotten from a Christmas gift we sent her. Um, it just really uh, brought to life the fact that she was a real person and that she's part of our family. From her child packet, we knew that Elizabeth had a, a brother and sister and lived with her dad. So we decided to, as a gift to bring her uh, some things that they could use around the house. But the thing that she really liked was um, this pink owl that my middle daughter Katie had picked out for. We gave that to her at the beginning of the day and it never left her side. Um, as it turns out, um, 
it was the first toy that she had ever received. It was really hard to believe that at age seven, she had never received a toy before. We also, uh, at the end of the visit, I was able to give her a Bible that I've actually preached and spoken out of for about 10 years, but that now she would be able to, to hold on to the message of Christ herself. As the children sang, I couldn't understand one word they were saying uh, verbally, but the language uh, was very clear to understand that we are here to worship a God who is faithful, a God who will never leave us, never desert us, and that loves us and cares for each one of us individually. I'm Tony Wolf. I'm here in Kenya. Won't you join me in releasing a child from poverty in Jesus' name? Thanks, Tony. Uh, thanks for bringing that challenging uh, message to us. And yeah, I was in my reading this morning and, and looking at the video and listening to you and, and all that we have uh, that God has done for us. And I was reading Psalm 136. And through that, the psalmist just kind of goes through uh, the different stages of the life of the Israelites and, and God's people. And at the end of each one of those phrases, it just simply says, and his love, his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, his steadfast love endures forever. And that's just constantly throughout that psalm. And isn't that true, man? God is faithful, and his love endures forever. Amen? 